0: Welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. It's not what you know, it's who you know. When Paul talks of access to grace by faith, it's the notion of access to a king's court via a letter of introduction. It's not something we have or are able to get on our own. Someone who knows the king has to give it to us. And that someone is Jesus. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, The Ticket, Imputed Righteousness, with this message entitled, Benefit Number One, Peace with God, which covers Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Thank you for joining us today. Imagine that
1: you have gone through the tragedy of the loss of one of your closest loved ones. Maybe it's a child, or maybe it's a, a best friend, a parent, whatever. And the particular death has come by means of a murder. Somebody has deliberately taken the life of the one you love so much. Months later, the trial finally takes place, and you're there hoping and praying to see justice served. And the one who has been accused of the murder, there's no doubt, really caught red-handed, no question, Uh, the jury very quickly finds this person guilty of murder. And then something happens that strangely turns all when uh, some judicial technicality is discovered by the defense team, and for whatever reason, though certainly guilty, is not to be sentenced. Then immediately after the trial... You find yourself watching the news about it, and here is the one who has murdered your loved one. And this person boasts of their pride to be able to take the life of the one you love so much and yet to be innocent. Now, can you imagine if you had to be placed in a room standing in that person's presence, just the two of you? Can you imagine? what it would be like. Can you imagine the enmity, the type of distance relationally that you would experience, the type of hatred, anger? And you'd have great cause to feel that way. Now, you take that story, magnify it exponentially. I mean, more than you and I could ever consciously figure out or imagine, just multiply it again and again and again and again and again, and we still would not have scratched the surface that would describe the enmity between holy God and sinful man. Now, I realize that most Christians don't buy that, I mean, not in full. We say, I know there's great enmity, but we really can't figure it out. We can't feel it. We can't imagine What that enmity really is like. But as you walk through scripture. You find some very strong language. In the book of Romans. Chapter 8. And I think it's verse 7. It talks about that man hostile to God. You read in the book of Romans again. In Ephesians chapter 2 and other places. About the wrath that God has. And that word wrath is a pretty strong word. The wrath of Almighty God against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. I've said through my teaching ministry, if there were one thing that I could get the people of church to really embrace fully, it's the understanding, the biblical teaching of the sin of humanity and the implication of that sin. It leaves us in a place that is so far from any closeness to God we could ever, ever, ever imagine. In fact, it would be only to the degree that we understand and embrace that, that we appreciate what we're talking about, the grace of God. Well, if you don't understand what unrighteousness is, you can't really appreciate the gift that we're calling Righteousness, imputed righteousness. We're talking about a series entitled The Ticket. I know that some of you have just come maybe as a result of Easter services. Some of you are new for other reasons, for the first week. Some of you have not been a part of the series. And it won't it won't affect your being able to appreciate what God is saying in the text we look at. But I do want you to know a little bit about where we've come from in this series. The series is entitled The Ticket. It's actually out of Romans chapter 321 and it goes through chapter 5. Now we're beginning chapter 5 today but let me give you just a little bit of the background to what has come before this. First there was a series over a year ago in the previous segment of the book of Romans. The first segment of Romans after a long introduction is chapter 1 verse 17 and it takes you through chapter 3 verse 20. And the whole teaching of the author Apostle Paul Under inspiration of God, the true author, he is writing for us to understand this thing called separation, sin, rebellion, whatever you want to call it. And so we have a word that we use, and Paul uses it, called unrighteousness, the unrighteousness of men. Well, that is described clearly in those three chapters. Then we come to the beginning of this series in chapter 3. We come to verse 21, and through the end of that chapter, uh, we have the the whole description of this idea of righteousness. This is what righteousness is. When you come to chapter 4, Paul eliminates all the wrong ways to come to this thing called righteousness. He says it's not by religious performance. It's not by morality. It's not by ceremonial. It's not by anything that we do. It is solely based on what Jesus has done for us. Then we come to the very end of uh, the chapter. And uh, in chapter 4, the very, it starts telling us now. Now here's how you open this great gift called righteousness. Imputed righteousness, imputed being placed upon us, the righteousness of God literally placed on his people who are in his family, his children. He places that righteousness on us. And he says, now the way this is going to happen is what's called faith. And so he describes in great detail, here's what faith really is. Faith is a trust. It's where you put your trust in him. Instead of saying it's what I do, no, 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 it's what he has done for me. That's faith, and it's called faith alone in Christ. Now when we come to the fifth chapter, we're going to see three different benefits that are given to us because of this imputed righteousness. So I'll put it as a thesis for this week and the next two. There are three benefits guaranteed by the imputing of righteousness. Here they are. Number one, peace with God. Number two, profit in tribulation. And then number three, protection from God's wrath. Now, this week, we're going to look at this idea of peace with God. And to do so, we're going to look at verses one and two. So if you have your Bibles, Make sure you're there at Romans chapter 5, and this is how it reads in the first two verses. Therefore, all right, whenever there's a therefore, you always have to ask what it's there for. Having been justified by faith, and we're going to look at what those things are that are the therefore. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, I want you to keep that word with in mind because it's going to be a whole lot different then peace of god we'll come to that we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope of the glory of god let's look at uh, i think two considerations from the text will make it about all we can get through today, and I, I think it'll, it'll give us everything we really need to get from this text. Two basic considerations. Here's the first one. As a result of our imputed righteousness, we have peace with God. Peace with God. Let's start with the first, of, uh, the first verse, and, and I know I just read it, but listen to this part again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, which is what he has been talking about, Therefore, all the things he's been saying about being justified by faith, you have this imputed righteousness, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't say we can have peace with God. He says we have peace with God. There is no such thing as someone being justified by Christ, putting faith in Christ, And at the same time, not having peace with God. It comes by faith. That is what we get. We have peace with God. Now, the next word that he uses there, he says, um, justified by faith. We do it by being justified. I want to review justified. We've talked about this the last few weeks. Justified, one way you can remember it just as if I'd never sinned. Now the reality is, it's as if we had sinned and God had removed the sin, but it leaves us in the result of living life in terms of our relationship with God as if I had never sinned, meaning it's forgiven. Justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, in the book of Philippians chapter 4, there's a text there that many Christians are familiar with, and it says, it talks about the peace of God which passes all human comprehension. Now, that's a whole lot different than this thing called peace with God. So let me make this very, very, very clear. A person cannot have the peace of God, Philippians 4, cannot have the peace of God unless first they've had the peace with God that our text is referring to. Do you follow that? Peace with God? Now I can have the peace of God. However, because I have the peace with God that I have, it in no way guarantees that therefore I'm going to have the peace of God. There are plenty of us here as Christians that are going to find out in eternity that we have peace with God. Maybe it came when we were a child. Maybe it came five years ago as an adult. I don't know. But you have peace with God. But you're not living much peace of God at all. That's something that's far from you. You would long to have peace. And you say, why as a Christian do I not have more peace? You're going to learn this week and the next few. Why? But the two are totally different. One has to do with how we stand in the presence of God. I mean, that's, that's the peace we have with God. The other, what well, has to do with a, an outworking of that peace with God? Now, keeping that in mind, let's push on just a little bit further. What we've been talking about is not how we stand up to the trials of life, but how do we stand up to the laws of God? God says, hey, you have peace with me. As far as I'm concerned, you've kept all the laws What does that mean? It doesn't matter if we keep his laws? Oh, no, 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 no. Our relationship with God, things like the peace of God, are affected by how we follow his teachings and many other things. But the reality is this keep them in mind peace with God. I like to think of it this way. We're about to see these words. We're going to stand in grace. I want you to think of a circle from this point on. I want you to think of a circle. And when we walk into that circle from the world at large, and we take a step into this circle of grace, at that moment we have this thing called peace with God. Follow the text. It says, through whom we have... In fact, let me read read verse 2 first, because uh, I'm getting ahead of myself if I don't. Through whom... Also, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Remember the circle of grace. Now, just using that part of the text, through whom we also have obtained our introduction. The idea here is having obtained. Now, there's the Greek language that the New Testament, for the most part, is written in. It is a very, very complex language. We have tenses, verb tenses in the English language. They have tenses that say a lot more than ours do. This particular word has to do with the idea obtained. It's past tense, and it means a once and for all action. Do you hear that? We have obtained. We have walked into this grace. We have been introduced into this grace We have obtained it. It is a once and for all action. We can't, oh man, look what I've done, look what I've done. I've kind of slipped away from his grace again. Oh my goodness. And then, oh, here I come back again. No, no, no. It's once and for all. Do you get that? Very important to know. We can be in this circle of grace and we can sin so mightily and so break our fellowship and what we experience with our God, but his love never changes. Why? Because we're never outside what? Grace. God giving us what we don't deserve. Once we are introduced or brought into this, we have access to this, we never, ever, ever can or will leave it again. Now, this word introduction into the grace in which we stand It's an interesting word. Let me give you the definition of it. It means denoting the privilege of approaching or being introduced in the presence of someone in high station, especially a royal or divine personage. Now, this means that we are brought into this circle of grace, and who's there except our Lord Jesus Almighty God himself and we are brought into the circle of grace and we're now confronted with almighty God. You remember the introductory illustration, the enmity that did exist? Now we sin so mightily and instead of this, how could you, how could you as my creation And now my wrath is to be set upon you. All of a sudden, even in spite of our sin, it's this grabbing of us and loving us, saying, I accept you in my son, Jesus. I love you as if you'd never sinned. Now there's nothing, nothing, nothing that can separate you from my love. In fact... Apostle Paul, again writing under inspiration, a little later in chapter 8, this is what he says about that love that he's given to us. Brian convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's... How much you love. Paul understands it. Why? Because he understands the circle of grace, and he knows that he stands in that, as all Christians do, and he says, nothing will ever separate you from that love. How does that hit you? Is that not unbelievable? That there could be that kind of enmity, and now nothing can separate us from that love? We stand in that grace. I'll go back now to the Ephesians 2 text. And here's one way it's described. In chapter 2, verse 18 of Ephesians, says, For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Access to what? That circle of grace. A little bit later in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, it says, verse 12, In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Because of that justifying faith. What God has done, He says, "Now, nothing shall separate you from that love." Pretty awesome, isn't it? Now we've talked about peace with God, but why, if we've got peace with God, do so many of us struggle to have the peace of God, which surpasses human comprehension, as it says, where we can go through the worst of trials. I mean the worst of life, and still, as you see, some Christians had this incredible peace is to say, I'm okay. I watched the 21 martyrs who recently lost their lives, godly Christians, if you read their stories, hear the stories of their parents and their wives and their loved ones and so forth, and, and incredible godly people, apparently. And I watched up to the very second before they took the heads. And I saw this piece, and I said, I've never seen anything like this. I didn't see squirming and Oh, no, I can't. It was just an amazing piece. To me, I looked at that, and I said, that surpasses human comprehension. These are dads with little kids, new marriages, young families, parents that they love. But it's something amazing. It passes human comprehension. Now here's the question, how? How do you get that? It's required that we have the peace with God. We're in the circle of grace. We know that. But we also know that you can be in the circle of grace and not have the peace of God. Why is that? I think the second teaching might give us a handle. Here's what it says. As a response to our imputed righteousness being placed in the circle of grace, we should live a life of exaltation. Uh, we should live a life. And I not mean we do, but it means we should live a life of exaltation. So, the end of the verse, let me read verse 2, the very end again. It says, and, this is, that's a conjunction, we just said one thing now, and a second thing, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Now, the word "exalt" means to boast or to rejoice it 's saying making this being made right with God, making it the main thing. What do you boast in? You boast in the things that are important to you that are the, if a parent boasts over their children, if a, if a single boasts over their new fiance or, or, their, or their new ring that they have just received or or a kid. Uh, just achieve some great honor academically or otherwise, maybe athletically or whatever. Well, those are the things that mean the most, and what, those are the things we boast in, we exalt in. He says, now, once we get the capability, we begin to understand, and we are faithful to the idea of seeing this grace in which we stand and its implications, and we start rejoicing and exalting In that, that's when we get this thing called peace of God. How many of us are in the world of darkness? And by God's goodness, he leads us into the circle of grace. And then the rest of our time is spent looking out into that world saying, I like that. I wonder if I can bring that in here. Ooh, I like that. I wonder if I could bring that in here. Would God say that's okay? Ooh, now look at that. That would be wonderful. If I could be that, if I could have that, if I could have that person, if I could be, if I could, and then it's, that's life. The rest of life is, I wonder how much out there I can get. I wonder how many of those people I can get to think very highly of me. Well, the focus has got to be right here. I struggle to do this. I know you do too. The struggle is to say, no, 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 look down. Look at the grace in which you stand. And then you start exalting in that. I'll, I'll say this much. I don't think you can exalt in the grace when your occupation is out there. It's always doing this, looking. What could it be? Where can I find it? How, what is it going to be? not going to happen. Now, I know that I've got a much better chance if I focus more often on this. So that means I've got to think About the truth. What truth? That I stand in the grace of God. Well, what are just a few of the objects of our exaltation as a result of standing in there? I give you three. They're covered this week, next week, and the next. We're looking at the first one right now the hope of the glory of God. In our verse 2, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Then we look at number 2, we'll look at this next week our tribulations. In chapters, same chapter, verses three through five, it actually is going to end in verse five saying, and we exalt, same word, in our tribulation. Very interesting. Then it adds a third to it. It says, we actually exalt in God himself. Now, you look at those and say, no, wait, I'm not even sure what it means to hope in the glory of God. I certainly don't get the idea of exalting, rejoicing in Suffering and tribulation and how in the world how do I exalt or rejoice in God what in the world do those mean well let's hit the first one just quickly and I'll do it by giving you three implications as your outline suggests three implications of exalting in the glory of God so look at your notes and let's look at the first of the three we look forward to seeing the glory of God, the Father. Number two, we look forward to seeing the glory of Jesus, the Son of God. And number three, we look forward to being glorified. Now, let me explain these three. The idea is the glory of God, and he mentions in one are two texts, and I'm not, I was going to bring them up, but I'm not going to show them to you. But trust me in this it talks about actually seeing the glory of God the Father. Do you know that when Stephen was stoned to death, if you know that story in Acts chapter 7, it says, And he looked and he saw the glory of the Father. Uh, he was not yet dead, he was being stoned. He sees the glory of the Father. Very interesting. It then also goes on and it says, And the glory of the Son who was seated next to Him. Very interesting. What does that mean? Well, first of all, the idea of glory means renown or splendor. And so it can mean one of two, and actually I think both of these It's the glory of God. We begin to see God as glorious. The more we see him as glorious, we can hope in him because we see him as renowned. We see him as splendid. There's also the idea of, well, I see his glory that he gives to us because the scriptures talk about, oh yeah, there's the glory of God. There's glory we give to God, but there's also a glory that we get from God. And so apparently this idea of staying in his grace is where we begin to see God better and better and better. And as we see him, we see him as glorious and the giver of glory. What is glory? Renown and splendor. It also carries the idea of satisfaction. It gives me the satisfaction I want in life. Hmm. We see the glory of Jesus in the book of John, in the 17th chapter. It's the great high priestly prayer, as we often call it. And what does Jesus say? He says, oh, Father, may the people of the church, meaning the Christian family that is ours, may they see my glory. That was his prayer for you and me. Oh, that that the people would see my glory. They would see how glorious I am. But they would also see the glory that I give to them, which is the idea of the third piece, and that's the glorification. See, glorification is what happens after Christ returns. We are now brought back to our full state of glory. Many of us know the text in Romans 3 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were born with renown and splendor in the creation of God without sin, and it was stripped away. And now there's going to be a time coming when we are back with him and he's come back to earth that we now are back to that original state of full renown, splendor, satisfaction. It is called glorification. It's all glory that we will ever need given to us. There's a text that Paul writes to the Corinthians. Put this up. It's a great text. I love it. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. That's the image of His glory. From glory to glory, in the original language, that literally is saying glory added to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Meaning, as we're in this this circle of grace, and we're not looking what can I find to bring in here? What is, what's acceptable? What can I do? It's more daily starting life, looking down, saying, look at, the, what does it mean that I stand in His grace? And I, I get to understand that as I, as I peer into who He is and what He's done for me and His glory and so forth, that, that literally glory is added to glory is added to glory. And that's what gives us this capability that when the worst of tragedies happen, that we can have the peace of God. The more that we do this, looking out, less peace. The more we look down and check out what it means, we see the glory of the Father, the Son, and the future of our own glorification. That's why in the book of Romans, again it's in chapter 8, it's further along, But he says, the suffering of this present world, it's not even worthy to be compared to the glory yet to be revealed. That's why we want to keep our eyes on the glory yet to be revealed. It's the story I've often said of the the, the mother that has the child and has incredible, incredible, incredible pain and agony and, and going through the childbirth and then says, let's do it again. Oh, I can, I can take the pain if the glory of the baby is yet to come. If I focus on the baby, I can do it. I just don't think I can handle the pain without the glory of the baby. And that's the idea that we begin to, to look. And the reality is we're looking at what he said right here in the circle of grace. That's why I love the analogy of just waking up in the morning and looking down. Let your day begin looking down. What do you do when you look down? Will you imagine that you're in the circle of grace, which you are, and that you have a glorious God and Savior, and you've got the hope of being glorified. When that happens, things change. And by the way, we'll look at it next week. God has an incredible plan for helping us to look down. You know what it is? Tribulation. He says, I know you're prone to look out and to find that this is going to do it for you and this is going to do it for you and this is going to do it for you. But you know what? With tribulation, your head's going to be pushed down more and more and more. I remember the story of, I tell in the membership class of my friend Joe who came to this church and was so in the world. And God did an amazing work and brought him into the circle of grace. But he'd be the first one to tell you, man, I just love the world I love the world. And he's saying, I just, I just want the world. I want the world. And he's wanting to put that foot outside, so to speak. I just want to get to the world, get to the world. Until his college freshman daughter was killed in a car wreck. And then he got cancer and you he didn't have long to live. Oh, my goodness. All of a sudden, all things changed. He didn't want to look out to the world. He wanted to look in the circle of grace. What does tribulation do? It pushes our head down. I got to keep thinking of the truth. And then, as we'll talk further next week, then we have that ability to say, you know what, the glory yet to be revealed. Oh, it makes the tribulations of this world look a whole lot different. It's called the peace of God. No peace of God without peace with God but once you get peace with God, you got to keep your head looking at the circle of grace. You do that, now there's the hope of peace of God. And just to help us, again, we'll have our tribulations. Let me close out by just mentioning two things that are, uh, in a sense, they're, they're um, uh, what I'm going to call implications. Just two implications of our text. When we have peace with God, we experience assurance of salvation. Now, the reality is, is that when we're in the inner circle of grace, God's circle of grace, when that happens, there should be a birth of assurance in your heart, assurance of your eternity in heaven, your assurance of being in that circle of grace. But I want to suggest to you that many of us have been mistaught through the years as Christians to believe for whatever reason that if... We are really in the circle of grace. We should have this unbelievable, perfectly confident assurance, never a doubt. I know I couldn't even think about anything, but I know I'm going to heaven. And then reality of your own experience says, I'm not quite there. I have every reason to believe I'm in the the circle of grace but my assurance is not that strong. There is that fleeting question. There is that time where I wonder Well, of course there is. What in the world do we think if we think we can do anything perfectly? Can we think on the truth perfectly? Can we have faith perfectly? No, no, no. Well, then assurance is not going to be perfect. It should be real. It should be there. But we shouldn't think that the day I become a Christian, oh, never thought again. That's it. No. Some people more emotive, they probably have rig swings where I can't imagine. I know I am. I know. And then they swing down. I'm not sure I am. Other people, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just so sure. But I mean, it's like if I said to somebody, uh, hey, I have total belief, total faith that John's going to keep his word and he's going to show up here by three o'clock. Well, I do believe that. Why would I not? He's had a history of doing that or whatever. And i I'm sure. But in my mind, can I say, but, but I know that, that maybe it could be that he would this or something would happen. and Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still have assurance. It's not that I'm, but though I, I do have some doubt that he could possibly show up on time. Now we're talking about Almighty God. It's not his promise that's going to be changed. But the receptors of my own heart, mind, everything is still in a broken condition of sin. And I'm not going to see and Experience everything perfectly. That's okay. But if you're having extreme doubts, and you have every reason to believe you're in the circle, this circle of of grace, it probably can be traced back to some very injurious relationships with your parents, some experiences in life, perhaps, that have been very traumatic. And that can happen where our feeling system just doesn't work accurately. For you, I would say, go to someone that you trust that's far enough along spiritually and let them be your eyes. Let them be your heart. And then say, let me examine your heart by asking you a few questions. What? Why? And then be able to say, let me tell you, I understand your your assurance may be a little shaky, But I want to be here to affirm you that you are in the circle of grace. And you don't have to just weigh your feelings on this thing. Look at the fruit of your life and so forth and so on. Just get help if that be the case with you. You you want want to deal with that well. The second and final thing is simply this. When we exalt in the hope of the glory of God, we are more enamored with the future than we are with the present. And so if you find yourself saying, you know, I'm, I'm just so enamored with everything out there. I just want it so badly. I can't seem not to want it. Well, I would say you need to get your focus back to the circle of grace, the implications of the glory of the Father, the Son, and your own glorification. And the more you think on the truth, the more you'll be set free. That's going to equate to this thing we call the peace of God. We'll learn more about that next week we explore this thing called tribulation, exalting in tribulation. As I uh, pray, I want to pray for you, for you that are what we would call seekers. You're kind of trying to figure it out, the faith. My prayer for you as I close is that God would give you everything you need to understand this love and the beauty of the circle of grace, that you would see the cross of Christ and you would find him ushering you, introducing you in to this great grace in which we stand. For you that are Christians, my prayer for you as we close is simply going to be this. God, let us exalt in the hope of glory. That means God, help us keep our heads down as we pray together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray you would remind us of the truth and for those that are here as seekers, that they might remember it's not what we do. It's what you have done through your son's death on our behalf. Would you grant right now for many to be introduced into your presence and to be able to stand in the grace with one that was at one time to give wrath and now to give only love forever and ever. Grant that they would experience that. Father, I pray for those of us that are your children, we ask God do a great work in our hearts. We want peace, the peace of you that surpasses all human comprehension. Grant that, Father, as we would be able to keep our heads down and constantly focus on the great grace in which we stand. So thank you for the privilege to know truth. May it set us free. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name,
0: amen.